Which brings us to the third of three instructions for the morning. Now this instruction is a little bit more challenging for me because it's addressed to the women. And I want to be very delicate in the way in which I communicate it. At the same time, the goal here is to be very clear. Uh, As we go through this, I think it would be helpful for all of us to remember that this is not Adam speaking to the women. This is the Lord Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul written in his word. And as his servant expounding this text and giving instructions to the church, that's what I'm doing. Uh, So I'll pray for us now and then we're going to read uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. uh, And then we'll take a look at them at those verses. Lord, as, as I give this third instruction of the morning, which is related to prayer. I pray for us that we would hear your word uh, and respond to your word. I pray especially for the women, Lord, that you would help them to receive the word by your Holy Spirit and not through me. Uh, I pray that you would guard my tongue, uh, help me to say precisely what the text means and no more. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So would you please stand as we read the word of God. The third instruction for the morning is women. Adorn yourselves with respectable apparel, modesty, and self-control. We find this instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Likewise, also... That women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. But with, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. These are the words of God. Please be seated. Now what's very interesting here. To me, exegetically, and when I say exegetically, it means deriving the meaning out from the text. So when I take a look at this text, it would be natural for me to lump verse 9 and 10 with 11 through 15. Because 11 through 15, which we're going to see next week, deals with the role of women in the church. And I think there is a sense in which these two verses are a hinge point in Paul's mind. He started with prayer. Now he's addressing men uh, with regard to that instruction on prayer. Now women in verses 9 and 10. And now that he's addressed women on prayer, he follows forward, and we'll see this next week, on women and teaching in the church. But before we take a look at that forward link between the role of women in prayer and the role of women in teaching, we have to look backward, right? Take a look at verse 9. Likewise also that. Those three words make it impossible to read verses 9 and 10 separate from verses 1 through 8. So likewise also that is a direct link with verse 8. I desire then. So we know that whatever is going to be said in verses 9 and 10, it has a similar function in Paul's mind to verse 8. Whereas verse 8 was an instruction for men, likewise also then is a related instruction to women. Now we notice then, I desire then, in verse 8, linked that verse, that instruction to men, back to verses 1 through 7, that we are to pray for all people. 
That made sense, right? Because, well, what we just saw, we saw three of our men come forward and pray, lifting holy hands and praying for all kinds of people. So that made sense. Now, these verses, it doesn't make as much sense, though, does it? Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, modesty, and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. What in the world does that have to do with prayer? That's the challenge before us. What does that have to do with prayer? Doesn't this not, not seem like the, this instruction is geared more toward what women wear in the church, what their appearance is, what their behavior is? It, it seems more inclined in that way. So in order to understand the link of verses 8 and 10 to prayer, let's just re refresh our memory. Verses 1 through 7, the instruction was pray for all people so that we could be the church and hopefully that people would be saved. That's verses 1 through 7. Verse 8, men, this was the, the thinking, the logic of this second instruction for this morning. Men, your anger and your quarreling is disrupting the church's ability to pray. So, therefore, rather than fighting, rather than being angry, rather than quarreling, gather together, lift up your hands. And I think that's probably a statement about what else can you do with your hands? You can box with them, right? So rather than boxing, lift up your hands in prayer. So the logic of verse uh, 8 is your anger and your quarreling is disrupting the church's ability to fulfill instruction number two for the church, which is that we pray for all people. So the same logic then has to be inherent to verses 9 and 10, which means this. Women, your outer appearance is disrupting the church's ability to pray. So we got to remember that that's the, that's the function of this. It's not just about what women wear. It's about what women wear and how that impedes the church's ability to pray. Now, to better understand why the outer appearance of the women was hindering prayer, it's helpful to see what is recommended. Take a look at verse 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves, and then we see three things in respectable apparel, with modesty, and self-control. So we're going to go through these three things, and that will help us to see how each one of these things uh, helps the church to pray. So the first thing is, likewise also women, adorn yourself in respectable apparel. The word respectable there is coming if in the Greek from the word cosmos. Now what other words do you know that have the, the root of cosmos? You have the cosmos, which is the universe. God put the universe together. So he adorned the universe with order, with beauty. So this is not, we're not going to be then going on and saying, therefore women be disheveled and come in here looking like you've given no attention to yourself. No, the, the command is put yourself together. As God put creation together, so you put yourself together. Now, the word cosmos is also the root for a word that we use, cosmetics, right? Cosmetics. So the cosmetics is the act by which you take something and you put yourself together, however it is that you, you do that. So we, we are being instructed here that women are to put themselves together in a way that shows their beauty, that shows that they are taking care of themselves. As I said then, this is 
not. And as we move into number two and number three of what it means for women to dress a certain way and to present themselves a certain way, what this does not mean is that Jesus is instructing women to look haggard or disheveled or not put together. We're not necessarily saying you must look frumpy or unfeminine. Unless that's your personal style, and then that's how you put yourself together, and that's fine. Uh, but, but I just want you to hear that this is not a, a statement by Paul with the authority of Jesus Christ saying, don't be beautiful, or don't put yourself together. Which means, then, a woman is free to put herself together according to her personal style. God has given you each personal tastes, and he's saying, put yourself together according to that style, that taste. Which brings us to our second word, which is modesty. So likewise also that women should adorn themselves with modesty. So this is sort of a check against this cosmopolitan, cosmos idea of respectable apparel. So while applying her cosmetics, while adorning herself in respectable apparel a woman is to exercise modesty. Now, there's a particular emphasis here. The emphasis is that this apparel that is being worn ought not to be shameful. It ought not to be distracting. Immodest clothes, to get back to our context, clothes that are shameful, can impede prayer when it distracts the men. And this, look, this is really challenging, right? Because if a man is distracted by the physical appearance of a woman, that's his sin issue. That's true. That is his sin issue. At the same time, women, out of love for your Christian brothers, make it easy on him, not to distract him, because it's very difficult to worship and to pray while at the same time being tempted by lust. And, and so that's why Paul puts it in this context. You're supposed to be gathering together to pray, and the men are fighting, and the women are distracting the men from prayer because the men are having lustful thoughts. And the men can't pray to me, at least not in a way that is pleasing to me, while they're at the same time wrestling with lust or not wrestling with lust. So yes, it's the man's sin issue, but, but sisters, make it easy on your brothers by dressing modestly. Now it's not just the men that struggle with immodest clothing. Immodest clothing can also impede prayer when it distracts the women. For some women, it might be a lust issue. Remember, we want all kinds of people to come into the church. Uh, God willing, he will bring women into the church who struggle with same-sex attraction. Okay, so that's one thing. But in addition to that, let's say it's not a lust-based issue. It is difficult to worship and to pray while simultaneously being tempted by covetousness and competition. Uh, it is not a secret that, that girls and women of all ages struggle with self-image. This is a real problem in our culture. And, and if, if you're dressing immodestly and a woman who is struggling with her own sense of self, perhaps she doesn't feel that she is very beautiful, at least not as beautiful as you, 
that can be distracting. And she can begin to covet the way God has created you rather than being thankful for the way that God has created her. She uh, might find herself wrapped up rather than praying to God in a mental competition with you because of your immodest clothing. So that's why modesty is so important. It, it is a tool in the hand of the devil to obstruct the goal of the church, which is to gather to worship and to pray. I want to read to you from a quote by Mary Cassian. I, I am fully aware that I am a man and not a woman. And this instruction comes much better to women from women. And so, women, please speak into one another's lives. Uh, I am faithfully, hopefully, expounding the text before me. But as far as following this up, women, especially older women, come alongside younger women. And, and with love and charity and grace and kindness and sweetness, just slowly begin to have that conversation. So I want to start that for you by quoting Mary Cassian. Mary Cassian is a Christian author and speaker. This is what she has written. Your clothes cover your nakedness as the clothing of Christ covers your sin. If you look back at Genesis, that is absolutely true. Clothing is symbolic of covering for sin. So then when we when we uh, forget that and become immodest, then we're, react we're really working against the symbol. Mary Cassian continues, Choose clothes that are decent in his eyes, that is God's eyes. Not clothes that are provocative, seductive, and that honor nakedness. When you dress decently, you recognize that God ordained clothes to cover and not to draw attention to, your naked skin. You cover up out of respect for him, the gospel, your Christian brothers, and out of respect for who he made you to be. Decency, that's the word that she's translating, which we translated modesty. So decency or modesty means you agree with the Lord about the true purpose of clothing and set aside your self-interest to dress in a way that exalts Christ. So that, so that, no, sorry. So in that dressing room, trying on that skirt, take time to sit, bend, and stretch in front of that mirror and ask yourself, is this skirt modest? Does it do what it should do? Does it properly cover me up? Does it showcase my underlying nakedness? Or exalt the gospel of Christ. That's to the point. Powerful. It's, those are the words of a woman. Not my own words. Uh, but I think they're helpful. Now at South Shore we are not going to establish a dress code. We're not going to say that skirts need to be this long. Or sleeves need to be that long. Uh, we are not going to uh, be policing this. Unless it's extremely important, but and even then it would be done in a very careful way. Uh, we want this to be a place where people are free to come and, and to feel comfortable here, especially as we have newcomers and new believers. Hopefully this will be an issue that is, will be a part of discipleship uh, that we'll very carefully address. 
But there are some principles, and I'm not going to give many. I think Mary Cassian has done a sufficient job. Suffice it to say two things. In the area of modesty, more coverage is safer than less coverage. And number two, the world is not a good mentor when it comes to modesty. Therefore, being more modest than the world does not equal biblical modesty. Those are two really important things. We're not going to say how much coverage is required, but more coverage is safer than less coverage. And the world is not a good mentor when it comes to modesty. So that's modesty. Now, modesty is dealing with, if we could say, the sexual side of distraction. But there's another side of distraction which Paul deals with in this third word. And the third word is self-controlled. So he says, uh, all women should, likewise, that women should adorn themselves with self-control. So if modesty is primarily concerned with sexuality, lust, covetousness, and competition, then self-control is focused on social and economic concerns. Here, of the three words, Paul elaborates on this third one. Take a look at, at what he says. So in understanding what he means by self-control, well, he does not mean, uh, or so he says, if you're going to be self-controlled, don't come in with braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So he, he mentions braided hair, gold, pearls, and costly attire. He said those things are in some way opposed to self-control. Now, it's not that Paul is saying that he's opposed to braided hair. Like, I don't want us to take, oh, then don't braid your hair. Don't. That, that's not what he's saying. There's a particular kind of braided hair, I imagine, in the cultural context that elevated a woman to a different social class. It's not that Paul is against jewelry. It's not that he is uh, necessarily against gold and pearls or even a nice dress or slacks or a suit or anything like that. It's not that he's against any of these things in and of themselves. What he's trying to illustrate for us, however, is a problem. And the problem is when a person of a lower socioeconomic bracket come into the church and are made to feel unwelcome, unworthy, and out of place because they could never afford to wear the kinds of clothes that the people, and particularly the women in this church, are wearing. So, so this one is really concerned with, don't put something on your body that will make someone else feel small, make someone else feel lesser than, make someone feel out of place before they even hear a word from any person in the church. They already feel out of place because all they can afford to do is wear two pairs of pants in rotation, and those pairs of pants are old. In place of these external adornments, Paul says, put on good works. When someone comes into the church, may they not even notice what you're wearing, but may they recognize who you are. Women of good works who are friendly and welcoming and hospitable, and uh, women who who are tending to the needs of the saints. 
May that be the thing that people recognize so that no matter what they can afford to put on their bodies, they want to be in this church. Because they feel welcome, because they see that the women and the men, just as women can pray, men have to also be careful about the things that we wear. But the people of this church have clothed themselves in humility and good works. And that will draw people into the church. Now, what's the point of all of this? Well, the theme for this morning, and all three instructions this morning, is that Christ has called the church together to pray. And just as the quarreling of the men and the anger of the men disrupts this prayer, so also the outer beauty of the women can threaten to disrupt this purpose of prayer. Therefore, women are exhorted to make every effort to support the prayer and worship life of the church by giving greater attention to their inner beauty than their outer beauty. As I said, we're not going to write up a dress code for South Shore, but let's work together on this. This is so easy to not work toward because it's awkward to talk about. But the way in which we're going to work together on this, let it begin each, with each of us, especially uh, on this point, women. Take an inventory of the things that you wear. Secondly, invite your husbands in to help to discern. Are the things that I'm wearing honoring to the Lord? Is this respectable apparel? Is this modest? Is this a, 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 a garment of clothing that showcases self-control? When people see me, will they notice what I'm wearing or will they notice my character, my inner beauty, and my good works? Let us commit to not causing men or women to stumble because of the outer beauty of the women of our church. To close, I just want to thank you ladies for receiving this instruction from me, a man. Receive it not from me, though. Receive it from the Lord Jesus Christ, who has put it in 1 Timothy that we might apply this instruction to our church. And thank you also, sisters, for considering the weaknesses of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for our women that they would be more concerned with their inner beauty than their outer beauty. And I pray that you would clothe us all in humility with respectable apparel and modesty and self-control. Lord, we do want people from every economic and social bracket to feel welcome at South Shore. We want that. So I pray that you would help us to work toward that by the way we clothe ourselves. Lord, I also pray for uh, the instruction that was given to men. I pray that you would help us not to be angry or to quarrel, but to pray together. And I pray for that overarching instruction this morning that we would be a praying people, that we may live quietly and peaceably seeking godliness as we are discipled into the likeness of Christ. And we pray for the salvation of all in our city, in our province, in our country. And as you bring people to mind, please help us to pray more and to complain less. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.